Hello and welcome to Robots in Your Eyes, a podcast looking at vintage cartoons through the eyes of people way, way, way older than the intended target audience, but still captivated by those glorified toy adverts that we love so much. I'm Jason Thompson. And I'm Steve Walker. Welcome back, Steve. A pleasure to have you back with us again. Good to be back. So, without further ado, let's go Hollywood, shall we? Yeah, okay then. <laughs> Our first episode tonight is Hoist Goes Hollywood by Earl Cress, who uh, also wrote a few other episodes, notably, uh, I think, Desertion of the Dinobots, and co-wrote part of The Ultimate Doom. So, you know, Desertion of the Dinobots was pretty good, so surely this will be another classic. That's one way of putting it, yes. <laughs> do, do I get the impression that this episode did not grab you, Steve? I... I, sh- I struggled with it. Um, there, there were a couple of things that made me go, what the heck is going on? Oh, good. I'm glad it wasn't just me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, we start off on a, on a mountain road with Hoist and uh, someone we haven't seen for a while, Carly, with yes. Spike. Yes, uh, Spike's not girlfriend. Yeah, I bet he didn't tell her about who was flirting with Astoria in the last episode in the Girly Love Power Glide. <laughs> Look, we all know that Carly only hangs out with Spike because she fancies the Autobots. That's very true. Well, they're driving away and uh, they're overtaken by two speeding cars. And they have a bit of a bit of a moan about road hogs and driving safely and what have you. Uh, and then... Well, I don't really know what how to describe what happens next, <laughs> apart from utterly implausible. Yeah, uh, well, it's we, we're doing okay. Where they hit the fork in the road that just that, that, that basically seems to have been divided by a huge chasm. Then you get a nice little shot of of the fact that the the, the car that went down the right hand fork is slightly higher than the car that went down the left hand fork. We're still doing okay. And then it shows that the left-hand fork road is coming to a sudden end, and then the two cars kind of fly off the end of the road. One of them ends up going upside down and landing upside down on top of the other one. Yeah, and and then Spike and Carly kind of pull up and hoist is sort of, you know, so much for safe driving, and then they get shouted at. They do, because this ridiculously implausible crash that involves one car riding on top of the other one upside down without apparently doing any damage to either car uh, turns out to be the work of a movie studio, because on the top of the cliff are a lot of uh, lights and cameras and irritated directors. Sorry, sorry. Did you say irritated or irritating? Well, I did say irritated, but, you know, both really, (laughs) as we find later on. (laughs) And it turns out that uh, they're shooting a movie and they shout at the two kids for ruining their shot. I'm reasonably sure that when they are shooting movies, they tend to close roads so that that sort of thing doesn't happen. But yep. I think it's a a few times it happens, doesn't it, in, in TV and film where somebody wanders on to a film set and mistakes it for reality before someone shouts cut. But things have gone a bit wrong because now the two cars that have done their stunt crash are actually involved in a real crash because they can't stop. The brakes have 
blown on the car that's underneath and they go over the edge proper and end up too far down for anyone to reach them and their the production unit's helicopter will take 20 minutes to get there apparently so who can save the day it's hoist hooray but he does save the day in a rather unusual way considering what we've seen of him before doesn't he yep yep i mean we have got this 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 lovely little moment of the two stroke one cars balancing very precariously on a little rocky outcropping. Um, obviously, I, we, we're definitely in the realms of um, animated TV series laws of physics. Um, and then Hoist climbs down to save them. Yeah. Optic word here, Hoist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This is the guy who we've seen extrude improbably long uh, Hoist's tentacles claws whatever to catch things that have fallen off other things uh or lift things up and instead of which he transforms into robot mode climbs down and stretches his hand out to rescue the two humans yep it's it's a bit weird it yeah it, it is very weird i mean the the whole stunt action kind of did set a trend for this episode yeah yeah well, the director is very, very impressed. Not at all concerned about the fact that two stunt cars have just fallen off a cliff and blown up and his two stuntmen nearly died, but he's very impressed with the giant transforming robot. Yep. And so he decides that he's going to hire him on the spot for the next movie. And Spike is... Spike is so starstruck. He's like, well, Hoist can't, but I'll do it. He's like, but you're not a transforming robot. <laughs> Yeah, I'll, well, I'll, fake, I'll fake it. I'll fake it. I'll fake it. <laughs> yeah. <Ow. laughs> well, is he going to wrap himself in tinfoil? Well, who knows? Who knows what he wants to do? Uh, but he's completely starstruck because he's seen two real actors. Oh, I love these guys. I absolutely love them. They have got the best names. Edsel. Edsel and Carrie Fishhook. I wonder who they're supposed to be. <laughs> yeah, quite. But uh, yeah, so the director's hired Hoist for his movie and he gives Spike and Carly free passes to visit the movie studio. Yay. And then we cut to a Decepticon. Yes. Dirge. Dirge. He's um, carrying some huge thing under his fuselage. Yep, he is. And he's all malfunctioning. And there's a, a, a trail of smoke coming out of his exhaust. Um, which jets <laughs> wonder where you're going with that for a minute. Yeah, <laughs> jets don't normally do that unless there's something wrong. Um, yeah. And he tells them that he's malfunctioning. Um, and he's going to crash, which he does. Um, in a spectacular coincidence, he crashes in the swamp set of the movie studio that yes, we've just does. been uh, talking about. Megatron is not happy with Starscream for some reason. I know. <laughs> I I kind of... What, how? Why? Even Starscream is a little perplexed by this one. When, Star, yeah. when, when Megatron blames Starscream, I blame you entirely. He's sort of like, what did I do? 
Yeah. Starscream for once didn't actually do anything, but Megatron oh. decides to take it, all his frustrations out on him. And then once again, despite Starscream being a perfectly functional jet, calls Astro Train Ramjet and Thrust to go after Dirge and retrieve the mysterious cargo. Yes. See, I've got an issue with this. Astro Train. <laughs> why why did Megatron send Dirge and not Astro Train? who, when he's in space shuttle mode, is designed for cargo transporting. In fact, as a train, he could probably have carried that whatever it is. Especially as it turns out that whatever it is came from Cybertron. <laughs> and you'd think that Astro Train would have been the most logical person to send up or even go by the space bridge. Yes. Instead of which, Dirge, apparently. Oh, well. But anyway, Dirge has crashed. He can't move or transform, so Megatron tells him to shut everything down and wait. Yep. Meanwhile, Hoist arrives for his big screen debut, but the director's not ready for him. But that's okay, because suddenly all, a bunch of other Autobots have got the film bug, apparently. Yeah. How did they find out? How did they find out? How did they get the time off to come and goof around <laughs> in a movie studio? Don't they have anything better to be doing? But no... Trax makes a dramatic flying entrance. Yep. Warpath drives in and fires some kind of weird energy ray that lights up the sky somehow. Yep. Sunstreaker does an acrobatic jump off a ramp, transforms in mid-flight and lands on his feet going, way. And Powerglide just flies in and does some aerobatics. Yeah. And... Uh, Show them an Oscar-winning performance. He does. And there's a really weird bit with power glide isn't there because he crashes what we find out later he crashes through a painted sky backdrop yeah that was but, I, I, that, I i i did at first think that maybe the animators had put that in as a joke with him sort of breaking the the, the frame of the animation cell but then it was oh no it's 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 a backdrop it was yeah. just why because what we see is this a full screen picture of the sky and power glide flies through it and blows a hole in it. And there's a, appears to be a wall with a number on it behind it. Yeah. And you, if, when you first look at it, it's like, what the hell is going on? Yeah. <laughs> and then we cut to power glide sitting in the wreckage of a ruined backdrop. It's really, really bizarre. Yeah. The, the, the other thing that got me about this bit is the, 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 the Autobots, you know, supposedly stand up good guys all seem to have all seem to be challenging yeah, channeling their um inner decepticon arrogance because they're all very sort of full of their own self-importance and self-greatness at this point yeah i mean yeah warpath is an odd one sunstreaker tracks and power glide have been shown to be a bit sort of up themselves yeah before anyway so it's not too out of character but it's really bizarre um even more bizarre is that the director is impressed by this ridiculous display that's trashed part of his set and decides he's going to hire them all for the action picture because he needs action i'm pretty sure and i don't work in the industry so i'm open to correction but i'm pretty sure that movie production requires months of pre-planning if not years and just rewriting the movie on the spot to suddenly incorporate four transforming robots is pretty improbable. Yes. 
Yes, and don't they have to be members of the Screen Actors Guild as well? Well, yeah, you know, the unions will be all over this. <laughs> they would, yeah. So, but, uh, well, movie work doesn't prove as impressive for the Autobots because all the director wants them to do is crash. And so we see tracks crash, Sunstreaker crash, Power Glide crash. Harold Edsel take his position, getting out of the wreckage and Karen Fishhook running up to him and deciding that he deserves a kiss for being so brave every single time. And all what, Hoist has to do is pull them out of the wreckage. What, what sort of film is this bloke making? It, it, it literally is. Crash. Harold calling out. Oh, I, you are so brave. I think that was just awful. Granted, kids cartoon. But... And just in case we had any doubts about who these two actors are named after, Karen Fishhook, and she's born, even has the Princess Leia earmuff hairstyle. Yes, yes. <laughs> we, we don't we don't get another blatant Carrie Fisher ripoff until um the movie. The eighty six movie when we have RC. Yeah. Incidentally, same voice. Yeah. <laughs> it's uh, Susan Blue doing the voice of Karen Fisher and then does uh, RC in the movie and onwards. Yep. So the Autobots are not terribly impressed. So they ask Hoist, who knows the director, apparently. <laughs> Barely met him, but okay. Or Moist, as he's better known in this episode. Yes, the director keeps getting his name wrong. Yeah. Asks Hoist to tell him, you know, we, we, we want better roles, better, better, uh, more to do, more to do. Okay, fine, fine, fine. Well, the director is a bit busy because he's just discovered that there's a large crashed jet in his swamp set. Yes. So, as his his want, apparently, he decides to rewrite the movie by building a bridge around the jet in the swamp set. Uh, uh, no idea. Yep. Nope. Can't, <laughs> can't see that one. I, I think this is one of those films that's probably going to end up in development hell. I, I would hope so. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so. The director tells Hoist to just go and get a bagel and wait, and the Autobots just have, have had enough, and they, they go away. Yep. Which is badly timed, because at that precise moment, uh, Thrust, Ramjet, and Astro Train arrive to collect Dirge. Yes. And, uh, so Astro Train lowers some uh, some claws on long cables that hoist Dirge up into his cargo bay. Ramjet and Thrust grab the whatever it is that Dirge was carrying, and they blow up the film camera because the director decided this is great and he's recording it all on the film because this director is, I don't know, <laughs> one real short of a feature. He's he's definitely not Steven Spielberg. No, he's not. But. Uh, Ramjet tells Thrust to blow up the weapon and he shoots the film camera. Yeah, bearing in mind that in, in, in previous, previous episodes, we've seen that the Decepticons have hidden cameras pretty much everywhere. And they've so used they, cameras in yeah. Megatron's master plan and things. They yep. still seem to be confused by a movie camera at this point. And yeah, then maybe there, it's a tripod. Did you spot the bit? Now, my jaw fell open when this happened because I had literally just said on a previous podcast that uh you know with the new jets well they're not new now but you know they've been around for a while but the the, the season two jets 
you don't have the same problem as you have with uh, Starscream, Thundercracker and Skywarp because throughout the series, they're always getting coloured as each other. And it's all very confusing. And these three guys, they look different, so they're easier to, to distinguish. And what happens in this sequence? Um, they colour Ramjet in Thrust's colours. Yep. <laughs> ah! <laughs> But I have literally just said, oh, it doesn't happen with these guys because they all have different models. They, you know, they're not so easy to confuse. They still got them wrong. Yep. It's just so bizarre that yeah. they that they get them. You know, Star Sky Starscream, Skywarp, and Thundercracker, I understand that because they're identical models. They've got the same character model, just different colours. But Ramjet, Dirge, and Thrust are different. <laughs> they have different wings. So you know which one's which, and they still got it wrong. Yep. Never mind. Back at Decepticon headquarters, Megatron decides that whatever this thing is, it must be deadly because it's been locked away in Wheeljack's lab on Cybertron for ages. Yep. Don't think he's been keeping track of Wheeljack's inventions lately, has he, really? Probably not, no. <laughs> no. Um yeah, then Starscream berates him a little bit and says, you don't even know what it does. And Megatron kind of... Isn't, isn't at this point he gives Starscream a jolly good slap? Yeah, he thumps him. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I, I did actually end up feeling a little bit sorry for Starscream in this episode. Yeah, Starscream um, is absolutely the butt monkey in this episode because yeah, he I mean, literally you, does nothing except get, get really... beaten up by Megatron. Yeah, Suddenly, Megatron has become as cruel as the Autobots claim he is, but mostly to Starscream. Yes. Um, yeah, so then, yeah, so Megatron gets crossed with Starscream because um, Dirge crashed into a swamp set, got whatever this thing is from Wheeljack's lab, um, wet. Um, it doesn't work. Um, I'm, I'm just going. Uh, is it Ramjet? I'm just going to turn on the power circuit. Yeah. Oh, no, yeah. I mean, you know, this whatever this thing is, do we think it's a good idea to bring it into the center of our headquarters and turn it on to see what it does? Yeah. Isn't this kind of this is kind of like all those episodes of um, Star Trek where they test weapons and things in the engineering room next to the warp core because that's the only set they've got available. Basically, <laughs> yeah. it's like why would you do that? <laughs> there must be so many better places to test these things, yes. like in a shuttle that isn't on the ship. Yeah. So uh, at this point, Astro Train tells Megatron that they were filmed collecting this thing and megatron says if they see that film they'll know what we've got and they'll develop some kind of counter to this whatever this deadly weapon thing is so go and destroy the footage go and steal it or destroy it so that no one knows what we did so at the studio the director is viewing the footage of the robots which somehow survived the camera being blown up and then decides on the spot that he's going to change the entire movie to attack of the alien robots yeah <laughs> unsurprisingly his human actors are not very happy with this yes and and he's, he's, Harold Edsel just whimpers woefully and Karen Fisher just 
she's she does the 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 Sheldon Cooper standard of comforting, which is pretty much tap him on the shoulder and go, oh, they're there. <laughs> well, what she actually does is go there because it cuts. Yeah. <laughs> they cut the editing is a bit abrupt on that particular moment. Yep. Well, the director wants the Autobots back with uh, better parts, and the Autobots come back and apparently what they were bribed with was huge chairs with their names on yes did did you know because i i don't know if it was done as a as a tip to the whole moist thing but the chair that tracks is sitting in has trucks written on the back of it yeah i spotted that i did spot (laughs) that not sure if it was deliberate or not but uh yeah but where did they get those huge chairs (laughs) very very odd and also they've got huge masks because the alien robots have to have alien masks apparently yeah because they they they, they look so normal anyway when they're walking well yeah yeah exactly <laughs> basically the director has the autobots just plod along after the female lead yep and then the male lead leaps in with a movie ray gun much to the confusion of the Autobots when the director tells them to fall down, even though they haven't actually been shot. Um, and so they pretend to fall over and what have you. And uh, yeah. apparently they are no match for Dash Jordan. I That was brilliant. That was a lovely little... I, I no idea which legendary sci-fi character that was supposed to have been, but it's a mystery, on the it? post-club card, please, to which blatant rip-off is that? Um <laughs> But did you also get the, the, the bit just as they were chasing Karen Fisher, the the, the, the Autobots? Um, definitely Sunstreaker was was doing the, 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 the cartoon gimmicky Frankenstein walk. Yeah, was, they're you all plodding along with their arms outstretched in front yeah, of them. Yeah, goose stepping along. It was just such, such, such a hilarious thing to see. Haven't seen that since the last time I watched an Abbott and Costello meet, Frank, meet Frankenstein. <laughs> well spike and carly apparently have been given the run of the studio because they're just wandering around and they make their way into the editing suite only to find somebody on their hands and knees in a pile of film canisters apparently missing several scenes from the movie someone has broken in and stolen it um, there's a nice bit of of kind of film technical stuff here because Carly wonders why the film is in black and white when the film is a colour film and so oh, there's just a working print that we can play around with without damaging the original yeah which I believe is standard um, yep. practice and so because this is a Transformers episode and Spike and Carly are the protagonists the professional film editor has to be reminded that this means that the original negative is still actually available yeah you can go and make a copy Oh yeah, of course I can. I wish I'd thought of that in my capacity. Professional as a, capacity. You know, <laughs> professional movie editor. Well it's just you know, I'm I'm so glad that a couple of teenagers, young twenty year olds, um how old are you guys supposed to be? Oh but they're team well, Carly's in we was in college when we met her at the beginning of the series, and Spike wasn't old enough to drive, so Spike is 15 or 16 at this point. Yep. Yep. But, uh, well, of course, that someone who stole the film sequences was Starscream. 
Uh, and they appear now, the Decepticons, to have taken up residence in one of the uh, one of the big set hangers, which for some reason has clothes spelt with two L's. Yes, I spotted that. What was that all about? I don't know whether it was supposed to say closed or what, but yeah, C-L-L-O-S-E. How very odd. Uh, and Megatron, are you sure you've got everything? Of course. And Soundwave, because Soundwave is a dirty sneak, says, no, nope, we didn't get the negative. Ha ha ha. And um, Megatron proceeds with some further disproportionate retribution against Starscream. <laughs> yeah. This time he hurls him across the room and then rips some wires out of his chest, which apparently yes. makes Starscream kind of run down a bit. And that's the last we see of Starscream. Yeah, for, for what? It's, 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 it's a good couple of episodes. We don't see Starscream at all after this. Yeah. So it's obviously off being repaired. Yeah, so he orders the others to go and get the negative, which for some reason seems to involve Rumble switching some fake movie explosives for some actual explosives during a movie scene. Yeah, another odd plot device. Um, so, yeah, with the... it is an audio only podcast of course you can't see the pained expression on steve's face right now while he's trying to recall this particular moment (laughs) i i I do have a a feeling that um in 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 the old 1940s buck rogers and flash gordon serials to you know show the ships being hit by laser fire they probably did have men rocking them with sticks and everything but i mean this this the the, the 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 acting from the autobots is so hammy you could almost smell the bacon um, <laughs> and i i really didn't get the point of the of, of, of rumble swapping the explosive out either it was just why yeah you know unless he just thought oh i'm going to curry favor with megatron because he's being a real nasty piece of work at the moment you know almost killing starscream um perhaps if i take out these autobots i might get into his good books and he won't try and murder me next um maybe maybe but either way when the director sets off the explosion the first one is goes according to plan because that is a little stage pyrotechnic but the, the second one blows up the set and the autobots are the Autobots are so badly shaken by this that Power Glide and Warpath's face plates fall off. <laughs> or rather, they're not properly animated. Yep. <laughs> it's very odd. Very odd indeed. Uh, and the director continues his descent into insanity because he thinks that someone is trying to sabotage production and what's going on. And Hoist says, well, it's not worth getting that upset over, is it? They, they just set off an actual bomb in your studio. Yep. Um, that would be, yeah, reason to get upset, I would say. Yeah, technically the director is right. Somebody is trying to sabotage the movie, movie but not for the reasons he thinks. No. And then he just goes, oh, all right, well, we can use that in the movie then, can't we? Yeah. <laughs> so- then we cut to Spike and Carly, who are watching the footage. Yes, they've gone on a date in the screening room. None of yeah. the actual professionals in the building are with them at all. They're just watching the film, yep. which uh, shows Dirge being picked up by the Decepticons. And midway through the screening, 
sound wave just rips his way through the screen. Yeah. Yes. I, even more bizarrely, Spike says, duck, and they run away. <laughs> um, aren't they usually brick walls behind those screens? Yeah, I'm not sure how Soundwave got in so quietly behind that screen <laughs> that he could just tear his way through it. But, you know, it's a dramatic entrance. It is, yes. Well, yeah. Spike and Carly rush to grab the original uh, negative before the Decepticons can find it. But Megatron is standing at the top of the stairs and demands that they give it to him. And Carly says, OK, just don't hurt us and tosses a film can to him and they run away. Yep. And it turns out it's an empty film canister and she has somehow, without detection, shoved the film reel up her shirt. I have nothing to say to that. <laughs> it's very, very odd. Carly is usually, I mean, she has demonstrated some spectacular feats of intelligence in previous episodes. And even this was fairly quick-witted, tossing Megatron an empty film canister. Less intelligent is that she stops to explain to Spike what she did and pulls out the original film roll while Soundwave is standing right next to them. Yeah, that's kind of messed things up. And now, as if things weren't weird enough already, they get even weirder, don't they? Oh, I, just when you thought it couldn't get any weirder. <laughs> I was honestly, I was looking at the screen going, what? <laughs> what? What is going on? Why? <laughs> they run through a studio set, through a jungle set, into a cave where they find a remote control unit, which turns out to operate a couple of remote control dinosaurs outside. Yep, yep which Rumble incorrectly identifies as Dinobots. <laughs> Shoots them. They just burn up. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I mean... Uh, be because this is only an audio, what you can't see now is Jason virtually headbutting his death at the sheer lunacy that we have had to sit through to record this episode. <laughs> they come out to a lake with two fishermen sitting next to it, which are dummies. Yep. They jump onto a boat which has a fake motor in it. They yep. use the dummies and the boat as a distraction for Megatron to slow him down. And eventually they meet up with Hoist and they're back with the Autobots. And Hoist has an idea. And surely there will be a sensible resolution to this plot. Yes. In any other episode, there probably would be, but not in this one. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Megatron and the Decepticons catch up and they find the Autobots in a movie set which looks kind of like some kind of gothic horror stone castle interior. And Hoist is up on a balcony and he's he is holding with his actual hoist that he didn't use to rescue the humans yeah. at the beginning of the episode. Carly and Spike, who are holding the film canister over a vat of flesh eating lava that he will drop the humans into. Sorry, if... what did you just say? Flesh-eating lava. That's a perfectly normal thing to find in a vat in a castle, isn't it? Um, I suppose. <laughs> I, I'm, not, I'm not sure that lava is flesh-eating more incinerating. But, OK, we'll go with that. Yeah. I mean, 
I, he says he will drop them in the lava if the Decepticons don't withdraw. Why? I mean, Megatron says an Autobot would never harm a human, so you won't do it. But why would he care if they did? Because, ah, uh, oh. well, Megatron calls Hoist's bluff and Hoist drops Spike, Akali and the film negative into the lava. Shocking. Oh, no. Surely Carly and Spike are done for. They must well be. Because Megatron certainly believes they are because he said, well, the film has been destroyed. So we can go now. And so Megatron calls the retreat, and I, I, I would like to apologise to uh, the other Steve at this point because I did not note the time of the retreat. Twenty minutes and fifty seconds. Bearing in mind that I was watching it on the Hasbro Pulse, so I had the little um, advert breaks, and there were a couple of um, adverts in in the episode. So well, approximately 20 minutes and 50 seconds. Oh, well, there we go. Thank you very much. Well, Hoist then lifts Spike and Carly out of the lava, which apparently is just muddy water and some compressed air and special effects. Yep. Which somehow Megatron and the Decepticons were entirely unable to figure out. Yep. I'm still not sure that the muddy water would have done the negative any good, though. Well, no, probably not. <laughs> but considering how bad the film was just another random edit of something weird happening probably wouldn't have been able to have saved that film anyway um, no i i suspect that had that movie had had, had finally had, had completed production um it it probably would have knocked plan nine from outer space off the number one slot as the worst movie in the world ever probably <laughs> which in some respects means it's an unfortunate thing it never happened because i would love to have seen a, a movie that bad yeah but never mind the show's not quite over yet the autobots uh gather in the screening room where the seats appear to have got large enough to seat the autobots somehow <laughs> yep and they view the film of the decepticons collecting the uh MacGuffin. and wheeljack laughs because apparently whatever it was never worked anyway but we never find out what yeah. it was. We do not know what this mysterious thing was. Yeah. M Megatron, who normally has plans that involve uh, stealing the Earth's energy somehow or becoming supreme ruler of the universe or gathering Energon, apparently just wanted to steal something out of Wheeljack's lab without knowing what it was. Yep. And I... then yell at Starscream. Yeah. I, I get the impression that the Decepticon scenes were added into the episode of Spiller. Um, it was as an afterthought. Wait, wait, we, we need the Decepticons in this because you know they're the bad guys. Oh yeah, let's quickly <laughs> let's just add something in, like a terrible director. Um, yeah, but uh, the terrible director offers Hoist the leading role in another movie. Uh, but Hoist says, no, no, because his duty as an Autobot comes first. Yes. Glad you finally remembered that after yep. farting around on a movie set for a few days. Yep. Um, noticeable absence in this episode, though. Yes, there was. It's one of only four pre-movie episodes without Optimus Prime in it. Yeah. He's not there at all. 
not even a mention. Nope. Nobody mentions Optimus Prime, so we don't find out how cheesed off he is with five of his soldiers wandering around, messing around on movie sets. We don't find out what Wheeljack's thing actually is. We've no idea why Dirge is the one collecting stuff from Cybertron. Megatron is a complete ass. He is. You do. You do. You genuinely do feel sorry for Starscream because he didn't yeah. do anything wrong. No. And yet he got beaten up and, and thrown the, around and yeah, had wires amount, ripped out of his chest. Yep. The amount of times where Starscream does do something, you know, try to overthrow Megatron, um, failing, you know, I'll give him that, um, or accidentally scuppering Megatron's plans genuinely. Um, and yet Megatron goes, yeah, well, I'll let you off this time, but next time I will probably tear your innards out. This episode, Starscream doesn't actually do anything, and he gets living daylights beaten out of him. <laughs> oh, it, it, it's such a bizarre episode, isn't it? It's really, yes, it really is. weird. It is yeah. a just, just a plain, silly, and not in a good way episode. Yeah. Dare I ask if you have a man of a match for this episode? Um, Carly. For the cunning way she duped Megatron into thinking that he had the negative, even though she did kind of shout about it stood next to Soundwave, but that was a clever <laughs> idea. And So, yeah, Carly. Yeah. I thought about that, and then I thought, well, hoist for coming up with the final plan, even though the final plan relied on the Decepticons being idiots. But nobody comes off terribly well in this episode, really. So we can happily move on from this one and pretend it never happened, because <laughs> coming up next, we do have some new toys that are being sold in the shops. Yes, so we, we do have some do. new characters to introduce. Shall we get on to that? Oh, let's, please, let's. So, have you lost your keys? Yes, I have, including my key to Vector Sigma. The key to Vector Sigma. The key to Vector Sigma, part one by David Wise. David Wise has a good track record of writing some pretty decent episodes. Yes. Um, And I would say that in many respects, this one continues the trend. Wouldn't you agree? Oh, most definitely. Most definitely, although I have questions, but we'll come to those when we get to the bits. Oh, oh, there are questions, definitely. Yep. But, uh, but you know, this is uh, this is one of the better episodes and one of the more significant episodes in Transformers lore. It is. So we begin with a convoy of tankers being escorted by the Autobots. Optimus Prime, Prowl, Smokescreen, uh, somebody else and somebody else. I'm sure there are five More of them. Parties there. Warpath, yeah. Um, I think Hoist is there, but I can't remember. But yeah, definitely Warpath, because there's there's a thing I've, I've got to mention in a little while. Okay. Well, the tankers are carrying a super fuel, which the government has given the Autobots to test out, apparently. Yep. That seems a bit dodgy. <laughs> <laughs> We've got this stuff. We don't know what it does. You guys do it. You guys play with it. <laughs> 
<laughs> given your Tobot's track record for destroying research bases. <laughs> That's probably why they've just given it to them rather than yeah. telling them where they've made it. Yeah. <laughs> We're not going to invite you to the facility, but we'll send some tankers out for you. There you go. Yeah. You, you go far away. Yep. Far, as, far as, away. As they're travelling in convoy, Prime mentions that things have been a bit quiet on the Decepticon front. Um, perhaps a little too quiet. Perhaps because Megatron has just gone on a murderous rampage and torn them all to bits, considering their performance in the previous episode. Um, <laughs> but no, they are all still around. They are, because just as Prowl says the Decepticons probably don't know about this superfuel, Megatron and the Coneheads attack. Yes. Well, the Autobots need to find cover. Fortunately, of course, they're in the American deserts. There are plenty of mountains around, so they drive into a canyon between two mountains. And uh, two of the Coneheads crash into the rocks on the side of this uh, ravine. Oh. They've done it again. What? Now Dirge has been coloured as thrust. <laughs> Two episodes in a row, they've gone and miscoloured these conehead Decepticons, which look completely different with their different wing styles, and which a few episodes previously I said, well, they're, they're harder to get wrong because they're different shapes, different models. And it's like, no, I, they've I, done it two episodes I, in a row. I didn't get the colour change on that. What I did get was as Megatron is floating in midair, um, part of his right leg, the, the, the back of his right shin has actually been coloured the same colour as the sky. Oh. <laughs> oh, dear, oh, dear, oh, dear. Well, Ramjet is still on the Autobot's tail, so they drive into a tunnel and Ramjet crashes into the tunnel. And Dirge and Ramjet, when they crash to the ground on thrust, they, they transform into robots and roll hysterically down the mountains. Yeah. Megatron is very, very annoyed by this. And so just as the Autobots emerge from the tunnel and think they've lost him, Megatron turns up and threatens to blow up the superfuel. Yes. Do you know what kind of explosion that will cause? And uh, Prime, Prime gets a good face-off moment with Megatron, doesn't he? He does. No way, Megatron. You'll have to blow us all up. And frankly, I don't think you've got the guts. Well, before we can find out if Megatron does have the guts, Smokescreen turns up. And what does Smokescreen do? What does Smokescreen do? <laughs> he creates a cloud of smoke. Yeah. Yes. It's, again, it's about that. that's his thing. And this yes. appears to be sticky smoke because it just clings to Megatron. <laughs> and you just got to basically you get a cloud of smoke with Megatron's legs sticking out at the end of it. Yep. Yeah, which stays with him as he flies away. Yes. And he is absolutely livid because uh, if it wasn't for those pesky Autobots, that super fuel will be theirs. And as Rumble points out, well, we can't exactly drive after them. No. What are we going to do? They rule the roads. They do. Well, Megatron has a plan. It is a cunning plan. So cunning, the professor of cunning at Oxford University. Yep. They're going to get some wheels. They are. And this cunning plan ends up looking really quite ludicrous, frankly. <laughs> because I... we go to a Formula One racetrack. 
where the winning car is promptly stolen by Rumble. Yes. Now, Rumble, you may recall from previous episodes, has been shown to be about the same size as the average human, but here he's massive again. Yeah. So massive that he basically sits on top of this car and sticks his hand into the driver's compartment and drives off with it like he's on some kind of kiddie toy. Yeah. How is he operating the pedals? (laughs) (laughs) I I was going to point that out, but you got there. Um, (laughs) Yep. I I do not know. But Rumble does do it, seems to do all the work in this episode, really. He does, yeah. Um, He grabs that Formula One car. Then there's a bank heist, and he jumps on the car and steals that as well. Yep. Did you notice anything odd about the bank robber? No. Well, when the bank robbers emerge from the bank carrying their bags of swag because you know you only know it's a bank heist because they carry the bags with the huge dollar sign on which yes. obviously oh I think obviously they put all the money in yep and they're wearing ordinary hats and handkerchiefs tied around their faces to disguise yep. themselves when rumble tries to steal the car the guy's got a hard hat on yes why, why where did he get that why has he got that I know. <laughs> it's just like it's that they suddenly um, remember the normal human animation model has a hard hat in Transformers because <laughs> all of them, yeah, and it's but, all the same hard hat. Yeah. It's something I wanted to say before we go any further. Yeah, that that um, yellow sports car, the Grand mm. Prix car, um, it's a Tyrell. It's an actual genuine car. Uh, oh, right. World, yep, Formula One, Tyrell, um, P something or other. I think it's P138. Um, last time one of those competed in a Formula One race was in 1977. Oh. And on the Wikipedia entry for the car, it does get a mention that it features in an episode of Transformers. Oh, fabulous. And finally, we see Rumble stealing a truck. A large black articulated lorry, which appears to be followed by police. Now, I want to know what they did because it's just like you've got some police on your tail. Rumble conveniently shoots the police cars so that they go away, and then he steals the truck anyway and throws the driver out. Yeah, that, that was odd, but it wasn't so much the guy was being chased by the police, it was the really fancy CV radio the guy had in his cab. I had CBs. I had CB radios when it was a thing, and they were brilliant, and I loved my CB radio. But I never had one that looked anywhere near as technical as that. <laughs> I mean, I, my, one of mine had lots of switches and buttons and dials on it. Um, and there was the Amstrad um, CB radio that, um, on, on the front of most CB radios, there's a, a little box that lights up, it's got a tiny little needle in it that um, when you receive a signal, it moves the needle. And when you transmit, it really moves the needle. And on the Amstrad CB radios, the the little power needle was replaced by a set of LEDs that went from green. I think there were four or five green ones and then a red one. And if if, if you could... Get when when you keyed your mic up. If you could get your, if you could get the red lights to light up, you were 
really broadcasting. That was my ultimate power. Um, so that that CV set was phenomenally. It looked incredible. It looked really techy, far more technological than any CV that was available on the market at the time. <laughs> Oh, I do think they missed a trick with this, though. They could have referenced a, a popular movie with this one, couldn't they? Yes. You would think they yes. could have had Rumble leap into the passenger seat of the car and just say to the driver, get out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But they didn't. Yeah. But they didn't. Never mind. Well, it turns out that back at Decepticon headquarters, Rumble has also nicked two other cars, which we don't get to see him steal. No. One of them is definitely Lamborghini-esque. Yeah, I recognise one of them definitely as a, as a Lamborghini. But uh, Megatron is now going to convert them. And Megatron does all the work himself. Where are the Constructicons? Don't they usually get involved in stuff like this? Yeah. Well, at the end of this montage of Megatron doing a lot of work, he has five remote control vehicles which he takes out to a forest to test. I think he might have got the guy in from the previous episode to film all the stunt work for this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that director would have loved to have seen this because those cars apparently have uh, internal force fields, which make them practically indestructible because they can drive through trees and rocks without a scratch. They have anti-gravitational boosters, which allow them to sort of fly, Yeah, not in the way that tracks and all the jets and power glide fly, but they can you know, fly through the air a bit or sustain longer jumps than normal yep. or even drive up a cliff at one point. And yes, we see the yellow sports racing car, Formula One car, drive up the cliff, which prompts um, Rumble to say even the Autobots can't drive with those kind of stunts, which just inspires Megatron. It does, because he it brings really them all does. in front of them. They transform into robots, because he's made them transforming cars, of course. And he dubs them the Stunticons. Yes, so basically, what we've got in this episode is an origin story. Yes. <laughs> we have a collection of robots called the Stunticons. Yes. Well, back at the Ark... Optimus Prime has uh, seen what Megatron is getting up to because, again, throughout the series, we've figured out that Optimus Prime and Megatron can both watch the Transformers on the telly whenever they feel like it. Yep. Um, but, you know, he realises that these Stunticons, they'll need cybernetic personalities to be truly alive and functional, but there's only one way to do that. There's no way to do that on Earth, apparently. No. Unless. And at that precise moment, Teletran 1 reports the Decepticon space bridge has been reactivated. Yes. I like this shot because it's the space bridge appears to be uh, in the same location as the one that we've seen in previous episodes and right from the first one in a sort of depression in the desert somewhere. Yep. And Prime says enigmatically, He's actually going to do it. Yes. Much to the confusion of everybody else. Yep. Everybody uh, else is just looking at him gormlessly. Yeah. But he radios Omega Supreme immediately. Yes. He does. 
Megatron Supreme turns up. Yeah. After after we see um Megatron and his lackeys go into the space bridge and head off for Cybertron. Yeah. The only place in the galaxy where the Stunticons can be given independent personalities, apparently. Yes, indeed. And I do like that when they animate the space bridge, they remember how to do it. And they do the spinny lights on the top and the converging beams of energy and the sucking up all the rocks and the dust yeah. and the big explosion and everything else. It's uh, it's a nice bit of consistency. Yep. And they fly off to Cybertron. Yep. Where Again. Shockwave is waiting for them, as always. Yes, he is. And what has Shockwave found for them? He has found the key to Vector Sigma. He's literally he's that massive Britain's got talent pause between sort of I've got the key too. It's just such a dramatic pause on that. Well, Shockwave's been bored. And he's yeah. plotted a course to Vector. So he hasn't actually got the key because he didn't tell Megatron that it needed a key, apparently. No, and Megatron said, why, why didn't you tell me that? How are we supposed to activate it before the robots, <laughs> before the Autobots follow us? Because he knows, obviously, Megatron knows that Optimus Prime watches Transformers a lot and must yep. therefore know that they've gone to Cybertron. It's at this point that Shockwave says, why should I tell you? You abandoned me on Cybertron all on my own for four million years. Yeah, with only those female Autobots for company. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, according to the search for Alpha Trion. But yeah, they need they need the circuit key to activate it. But it's all right, because he does know where it is. It's with Alpha Trion. Yes. And uh, Megatron's voice sounds a bit weird at this point. I know. He says, His let's pay the old fool a visit. And he sounds yeah. a bit more like Rumble than Megatron, doesn't he? Alpha Trion, I, I, but, I don't know why, but I was half expecting Megatron to say that we need to pay the old part of it. <laughs> I don't... Well, maybe that's on a deleted scene. I don't know. Because <laughs> there are evidently a few deleted scenes in this episode. Yeah. Well, the Decepticons head for his lab. Bizarrely, given that only a couple of episodes ago, it was the search for Alpha Trial, and it was a secret underground lab that Nobody seemed to know where it was. Now the Decepticons know its address, apparently. Yep. So they head off to the lab for Alpha Trion. Alpha Trion is... I'm not, I don't know what I think about this, to be honest, because in the previous episode we saw him, Alpha Trion was a mysterious, wise, old Autobot um, who implies that he's Prime's creator and uh, he's very... You know, very wise and very reverential. Almost when you see him, it's like, oh, it's it's a myth, almost a mythical figure. He's and when we see him here, he's, sorry, he's almost Gandalf-esque in earlier episodes and later yeah. episodes. Yeah, but when we first see him in this one, he's an absent-minded old idiot who's on his hands and knees looking for a tool that he's lost in his messy old cluttered lab. Yep. Oh dear, oh dear. Well, the Decepticons arrive. And uh, they demand the circuit key, and Alpha Trion feigns ignorance and then pulls down some kind of weapon from the ceiling, which shoots the Decepticons. But he is no match for all the Decepticons. 
So eventually Soundwave locates the key, which is not all that cunningly hidden, really, and gives it to Megatron. <clears throat> so Megatron has the key to Vector Sigma. Yep. Meanwhile, Omega Supreme is carrying the Autobots to Cybertron. Now, I have issues. I have issues. First of all, Omega Supreme arrives at Ark. He transforms into space vehicle mode. And then we get this lovely little scene of, of, of all the Autobots. Well, the majority of Autobots. Just, just sort of on the Travelator type affair. And then off they go, again, leaving half of Omega Supreme behind. Um, <laughs> they arrive on Cybertron. Omega Supreme lands. His doorway opens and everybody walks out of him this time. So obviously the Travelator part didn't come with him. But then when he transforms into robot mode, there aren't any bits missing. <laughs> yeah. Well, Omega Supreme is is always weird on his transformation. The issue that I have with this is that the last time we saw Omega Supreme, he uh, took Autobots to Titan, which is, as you will be well aware, a moon within the solar system, and yes, reported yes. that getting to Titan would require 97% of his energy reserves, and when he arrived, he wouldn't be able to transform. So, where is Cybertron? <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, I mean... I can forgive the space bridge because, you know, a bit later on, we got a TV series that kind of hung on the same thing. Um, you know, with the whole mini wormholes and event horizons and, well, they weren't called space bridges, they were called stargates, but it was a way of instantaneously transporting people and things from planets that were thousands of light years away, you know, it, almost instantaneously. So I can forgive the space bridge because I'm a geek. Um, but I, I can't forgive the fact that, yeah, where is Cybertron? They, they seem to get there quite quickly as well. They do. I reckon that Cybertron is somewhere in the asteroid belt because it was well, I... near Earth in the ultimate doom, and it was only nudged out of orbit by an explosion, which couldn't have thrown it out of the solar system entirely, surely. So I no. reckon Cybertron is not that far away. Well, but... I, I, I still stand by my theory about Cybertron. Um, so in our solar system, we have a planet which is currently inhabited entirely by robots and um, autonomous probes. We do, yes. With an awful lot of, I'm, I'm not exactly a clever scientist at this, but there's an awful lot of rust on the surface of Mars. And I'm sure that if you really know what you're doing with something, I'm, I'm not talking alchemy, but I'm sure that there is a way of turning rust back into iron. There might not be. You're a physicist, you know how this stuff works. I'm a biochemist, but, so no. Oh, okay. <laughs> but but um, I suspect that there is some kind of chemical reaction, in theory, that you could do yep. that would uh, would separate so the I, oxygen I, and iron again. I am. I have fairly convinced myself that Mars is a prehistoric Cybertron. Fair enough. I'll go along <laughs> with that. Well, the Autobots have arrived at Cybertron, and they hurry to Alpha Trion's lab 
Now, this bit I could understand because Prime's been there. You think Prime knows where it is. Yep. But how the Decepticons knew where his lab was, who knows? But when they get there, they find that Alpha Trion is very badly injured and has, in fact, been almost welded into a wall. He's so, he's so badly injured that he's left an impression of himself in that sheet of metal as well. Yeah. Well, Ratchet and Hoist are uh, able to repair him. And bizarrely, Alpha Trion explains what Megatron intends to do with Vector Sigma to give life to his new car squad. How Alpha Trion knew anything about them, I don't know, because Megatron never mentioned it. He just grabbed the key. Maybe, Maybe Megatron stopped to explain it to him. I don't know. Maybe there is a deleted scene where Megatron explained why they actually need the key to Vector Sigma, because it won't work without the key. And he explains all of this whilst Alpha Trion is buried under six foot of rubble. Maybe he does. Bizarrely, though, Optimus Prime seems surprised and asks if this is possible. Well, didn't Optimus wasn't Optimus <laughs> Prime coming here in the first place because he knew this was possible? Wasn't that the whole point? Didn't yep. he say that earlier? Oh, well. Anyway, Alpha Trion leads them down a large hole in the ground, which which leads to Vector Sigma. In the tunnels. The Decepticons encounter a squad of Centurion guards and Megatron is, uh, I mean, his deductive powers are brilliant. Absolutely brilliant because he says they must be guarding Vector Sigma. No. Really? Get them. <laughs> and then, he yes, he gives the marvellous order, get them. <laughs> I actually like this little fight sequence. I actually, because I... I, I'm, I'm sure it has featured in other episodes, and we have seen it before, but Soundwave, you see him use the shoulder cannon. Yes, which you is do. Uh, Yeah, because from what I understand, when Soundwave is in, is in boombox mode, right-mounted shoulder cannon is one of his batteries. Yes, his shoulder cannon and the gun that he holds in his hand turn into... Uh, turn into his batteries. So, yeah. The Centurion droids are indestructible, it would appear. But Megatron realises that they're protecting Vector Sigma and the key is part of Vector Sigma. And so therefore, when he pulls the key out, they all stop. Yep. Drop to their knees. Yes. And apparently then he can press a button on it and tell them what to do. So he sends them off to attack the Autobots. He does indeed. The Autobots are in another tunnel. And Prime, as he walks in, says, it's a miracle we survived that blast. Um, what blast? Yes. There was no blast. No. Apparently this was a deleted scene. <laughs> but in deleting the scene with the blast in it, they completely forgot to delete any of the reference to it later on. Because <laughs> he makes another reference to an explosion later. But there was no explosion. Yep. But never mind, they're sort of lost. They do find a storage hangar which has rocket shuttles and trashed robot drones in it. That might come in handy later. It might. And then there's a really bizarre bit because they're walking along this long straight tunnel. Ratchet says the Decepticons couldn't have come this way, surely. And Alpha Trion says, no, no, they, they definitely did. And he points ahead, and there's a squad of Centurion droids marching up the tunnel towards them. Didn't anyone else see them? They are right in front of them. 
Well, the Autobots are in trouble now, aren't they? Yes, they are, because although these Guardian robots have never been to Earth, they've obviously picked up some Earth television broadcasting because... One of them does a German suplex. The other one does a clothesline. The other one does an Irish whip. There's a headlock at some point. I also think that there might even be a powerbomb thrown in there for good measure. <laughs> yeah, they've clearly been watching uh, various wrestling shows, haven't they? Yeah. Because they've picked up quite a few of the moves. But meanwhile, Megatron has found Vector Sigma. And Rumble seems unimpressed. Yes. That Megatron describes Vector Sigma, which is a, a strange glowing gold sphere suspended in, in the middle of a room. It's a disco ball. Yeah. It's a, it's a gold disco ball. And he describes it as the mega computer that gave us all life. And yep. Rumble says, yeah, put me on. <laughs> <laughs> I love that line. <laughs> it just, this is like the, what, you know, this is probably the most iconic piece of lore that has been introduced into Transformers and Rumble just dismisses it as a little joke. <laughs> um, my um, arc figure comes with a very, 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 apart from the incredibly small Optimus Prime, it also comes with a little teeny tiny Vector Sigma. Oh, right. That you know, if 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 that gets lost, it is gone forever. Mm. Better be careful with the Hoover. Yeah. Well, Megatron uses the key and activates Vector Sigma, and Vector Sigma glows and rises into the air, and announces, "I am Vector Sigma." Before Cybertron was, I was. Oh boy, does that raise questions? <laughs> yes, because. A lot of people have been very anti the idea of new Trek because it, you know, there are things that are mentioned in new Trek that didn't get mentioned in episodes of the original series. Um, but this establishes that Vector Sigma is older than Cybertron. But then in later series, it turns out that Cybertron is incredibly old and also not just a planet. Are you insinuating that there's not some well-thought-out continuity that runs through every strand of Transformers and is never contradicted at any point? Not at all. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know, Vector Sigma is the only way to grant these things independent personalities. Um, what about Hang the Dinobots? Hang on a minute. What about the Dinobots? Yep. They were built on Earth and given independent personalities. Yeah, and then there's the Constructicons who may or may not have been built on Earth but actually lived on Cybertron but weren't. But the, the Constructicons confuse me and it hurts my tiny little man brain. But yes. Yeah. They are very confusing. Well, Megatron introduces himself and tells Vector Sigma to give life to the Stunticons and fill them with hatred for the Autobots. And Vector Sigma does it by zapping them with some kind of energy <clears throat> and then they introduce themselves because there are new toys to sell so we have to have yes. these new characters tell us who they are and motormaster who is the lorry swears loyalty dead end 
Breakdown and drag strip also swear their obedience, and Wild Rider just wants to bust something up. Yep. Well, Megatron says they'll have the chance because they're going back to Earth. So Megatron appears to have succeeded in his aim at this point. Yep. Well, the Autobots are running away from the Centurion droids and reactivate the trashed drones that they found in that storage hangar. Amazingly, they reactivate whole armies of them very, very quickly. Um, and they end up having a fight with the Centurion droids. Well, the first lot get smashed to pieces. And the second lot... I know. Um, I, I know from the pained expression that the listeners cannot see on your face. I know what you're going to say. I found that really odd as well. Well, having set up the Centurion droids as apparently indestructible, impervious to laser fire and whatever, do they introduce a weakness where they find they can suddenly shut them all off? Do they oh. find a way to destroy them? Have they all got a button on the back that you just have to press to shut them down? You know no. your carbon-based circuits, they do. <laughs> well, a column of maintenance drones marches off the edge of the walkway and all the Centurion droids just follow them off the end. Yes. That's like it. Little lemmings. Big and stupid. <laughs> says. Never mind. I know we're going back a bit. During the bits, scenes where the Autobots are walking through the tunnels, did you notice the really weird face animation on Blaster? No, I can't say I did. It was almost like they were animated in talking, but badly. It was just really weird, and it kind of really threw me, and, and now I can't help but, but notice it. No, I'll have to look out for that. Well, the Autobots reach Vector Sigma and find that, well, they're too late, because it's already given the Stunticons life. Optimus Prime, intriguingly, doesn't recognise Vector Sigma, even though he apparently knew what it was and why Megatron wanted to be there and everything else. He doesn't know what Vector Sigma is. Like, yeah. Is that Vector Sigma? I never mind. Well, Optimus has a plan though. Can they rejig those ancient rocket shuttles to look like Earth type jets? Do I detect another origin story on the way? Possibly. Well, he says the Decepticons are trying to tackle us on the roads. We'll tackle them in the sky. Yep. Because they haven't got any flying Autobots. Oh, oh wait a minute. <laughs> Alpha Trion does protest a little bit, though. He says it would be really difficult. It might not even work. And Prime says, we've got to try. Yeah, oh, if what? only there was somewhere else they could get Earth-type jets from. <laughs> yeah. It's, uh, you know, yeah. Anyway, we'll talk about that in the next episode, I'm sure. Well, Back on Earth, the Stunticons have arrived at a military base where the superfuel is made. And they attack. When the human soldiers realise there's nobody driving the cars, they conclude it's only one thing. It must be the Autobots. The cars have huge Decepticon logos on them, guys. Yes. <laughs> really, really big Decepticon logos. The Transformers have been around for two years on Earth at this point. Have no, none of you noticed the different faction symbols they all have? Also, oh. the, the, the Stunticons don't so much attempt to steal the fuel. It's just 
drive around madly, smashing into things. Yes. But with the humans declaring that it must be the Autobots attacking, to be continued. Dun-dun-dun. Yes. And that's the end of the episode. No retreat. No retreat. Nobody does any retreating of any shape or form in this episode. Well, the Autobots fall back from the Centurion droids to that hangar to rebuild the drones, but that's as much as a retreat as you get. I I didn't know at that time. No. Well, we don't care about the Autobots retreating. It's only the Decepticon retreats that we time. (laughs) (laughs) But I thought that was a really rather good episode. I enjoyed this episode. Yeah. I'm looking forward to seeing what the Stunticons can do. Yes. Because, I, I don't know, something about there being one big one and four small ones is is tickling something at the back of my brain as to an ability they might have later on. I don't... Well, considering I've got two of them now, <laughs> I just I just happen to have Motormaster and Dragstrip. I did buy Dragstrip by complete mistake. Um, it didn't twig, because he was in legacy packaging. It didn't twig that... Usually Decepticons are planes, and it did not twig straight away that Decepticon cars, drag strip, he's a stunticon. What? Okay, he's 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 twelve quid. Oh, I'm gonna mm. buy that because he's twelve quid. <laughs> oh I I oh my god, now I've got to buy Four more figures. <laughs> now, th- then I saw Motormaster on sale in game for a ridiculously great price. I actually said to the guy, is that price correct? And he mm. got it down, he scanned it. He went, oh, no, it's not. Okay, fair enough. He said it's actually £5 less. <laughs> oh, all right, then. <laughs> okay, well, the yeah. universe is telling you something at this point, I think. So, yes. yeah. But there is yeah. a lovely trick to Motormaster that I won't say now because of the reveal in the next episode. <laughs> um, although anybody who has even a slight passing knowledge of G1 Transformers will know exactly what's coming up. But, yeah. yeah. They will, but we won't spoil it at this stage. Now, no. I, I really enjoyed it. I, Megatron identified a weakness in his squad and he set out to fix it and he appears to have done just that so he now has a a car squad we get the new uh the new law with the reveal of vector sigma that apparently brought the transformers to life so yeah there's some uh, some good stuff here and i think the animation quality was really top-notch on this one as well yes um, and it was good to see some new characters cropping up yeah definitely um, so, who's your man of the match for this episode, Steve? Oddly enough, I'm going to go with Rumble because, um, I mean, we see him get two of the cars, three. <laughs> well, two, two, two cars and the and the truck. We can only assume he gets the other two as well. Um, d- despite the fact that the 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 stealing of the Formula One car was a bit laughable. Um, <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm going to go with Rumble because he actually did a good job. Fair enough. I'm going to say Megatron because he totally succeeds in his plan to get a new squad of Decepticon vehicles and go to Cybertron 
and get the vector sigma computer to imbue them with individual life. And the Autobots don't even catch up to him, never mind stop him. So I think he's uh, he's on top form today. And of course, he did all the work himself on building the constructor cons. Yeah. So Megatron for this episode. Well, it's said to be continued. We're not going to continue it now. We will be back next week with a continuation of the key to Vector Sigma. In the meantime, all that remains is to say thank you for listening to Robots in Your Eyes. I've been Jason Thompson, co-hosting with our wonderful guest, Steve Walker. We'll be back next week for some more awesome animated adventuring. But in the meantime, don't lose your keys. That was Robots in Your Eyes. You can find us on Twitter at Robots in Eyes, or you can email us at robotsineyes at gmail.com. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please don't forget to give us a nice review and comment on the podcast app of your choice. Jason, you, you keep moving your head and there is a box on your CD DVD shelf behind you. That appears to be an Optimus Prime. That is a Lego Optimus Prime, yes. Ooh. <laughs> yes. I'm, I've, I've got mixed emotions about it. Um, I, I don't think the, 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 the image, images on the box cover do the figure justice. I'm sure the figure will look much better when it's built and everything, but the, the, the photographs on the box put me off. Ah, well, next time you're here, I'll let you build it.